shelter and solidarity. A deep dive with activists and artists during this moment of COVID pandemic. I'm your host, Joe Ramsey, Zooming and live streaming with you here from Dorchester, Massachusetts on the south side of Boston, well into our third month of Shelter in Place. When we began this project, Shelter and Solidarity, almost three months ago, we started by putting two pressing issues in connection with one another. COVID-19, which was then starting to burn across this country and the world, and also the issue of mass incarceration, already a pressing public health and social justice issue. We asked the question, how is COVID-19 affecting those who are locked behind bars, who are not afforded the chance and the privilege to actually socially distance, to protect themselves and others as we have all been asked to do if we can during this time of pandemic. We started with that issue three months ago and here in our 11th weekly episode of Shelter and Solidarity, we return again to the intersection of COVID-19 and mass incarceration. This time, however, we start and we zoom in by focusing on the voices and the stories of prisoners and their family members who are struggling to get them justice, to get them health, and to get them freedom as this COVID moment continues. I'm so pleased to be joined today by three terrific guests. Nicole James, Nicole, is the wife of an incarcerated man. We're also joined by Tydena Brown, who is from Brooklyn, Mrs. Tydena Brown, the wife of Talbert Brown, also being held at Rikers Island. Joining Tydena and Nicole is Mike Nugent. Mike is an organizer with the organization It's Up to Us to End Mass Incarceration. I'd like to welcome you, Tydena, Nicole and Mike to the show. Thank you for being here today. How you doing? That's right. We can only hear we can only see you when we hear you. Good to see you, Tidina. How are you doing today, Nicole? Hello, how are you today, Joe? It's great to see you again, Nicole. Thanks for you being too, here. Sir. Mike, how's it going? Going good. Hey Joe. All right, it's great to see you again. Um, right. So I'd like to start today by asking you, I think we could start with Tydena and Nicole, and Mike will bring you into the conversation a little bit later. But uh, Nicole and Tydena, I wanted to give you uh, a question that uh, you, I think to allow you to tell your story a little bit. I mean, could you please, just for those who aren't familiar with your story and your situation, tell us a little bit about yourselves, about the story that's brought you to this point that you're on this show right now, what is the situation you've been facing and what is the struggle you've been facing right now? And we'll, 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 uh, we'll maybe we can go to uh, Tidina first and then we'll go over to Nicole and, uh, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Tidina. Okay, um, my name is Tidina Brown. I currently live in Brooklyn, New York. My husband's name is Mr. Tyler Brown, who's currently on Rikers Island AMKC. Um, it's been hard for me because my husband, my husband is 50, 54 years old, and he suffered with diabetic, asthmatic, seizure, pressure, and um, um, taking stuff problem. Um, it's been affecting me because I have heart problems, I'm asthmatic, and I have seizures. It's been hard because um, I suffered the loss of my mom to the, um, this year, 
of April 6th. And I'm fear of losing my husband due to this COVID-19, the situation. Um, it's been hard on me because um, certain things I can't manage, I can't deal with. Like, um, for example, I miss, sometimes I be mistaking my medication. My husband is, is there, you know, always there, mind me, take my medication. Um, I had traveling back and forth at the time from Rikers Island was hard to, to see him there. It hurt my heart. It still hurt me still to this day. Um, I just recently found out he's going to be a grandfather and be a grandmother because one of his daughters having a baby. And um, it's been hard because she, they, they, none of them is here. None of them is here. So it's been hard. Um, how, how this came about is because it started all on DeKalb Avenue, 901 DeKalb Avenue, make a long story short. They came into my apartment without no search warrant. They had a search warrant for the building, but not my apartment. And when they raided my apartment, I asked them for the search warrant. The officer of the narcotic team, his name is Mr. John Young, saying that they don't need no search warrant. I said, by law, yes, you do. Yeah, I had it for the building, but not my apartment. The name supposed to be on the search warrant. It's supposed to be my name, my husband, and my apartment number. And none of those was on there. Um, it's been hard because, you know, going back and forth to the doctors, running up and back and forth from there, you know, he's, um, he's still awaiting trial. He went to court, um, on the 16th of, um, this week and they pushed it to July 6th where he's going to wait for sentence. And it's, it's like, it's real difficult because I have dreams about him. I have, you know, I be smelling his cologne thinking he's here. I wake up and he's not here. And it's hard because when I get upset and aggravated, I know I pray and talk to God, but it's been so hard and difficult. He don't need to be in there with these symptoms. And Como, Blasio, and Trump saying that they was going to release them if they had these symptoms and they have not did what they, they have not went back on their word. So it's taking a toll on me because I have heart problems. I refused my surgery for a good minute now. And I recently had another surgery to come up. I refused it. They're supposed to place a chip in my heart because one of my valves is leaked. Three of my valves is leaking. Um, it's busted. It's not going the right way. It's going backwards instead of forwards. And in order for me to get there, because my, my husband is on, on my paperwork, and I told him I refused to get it done. So now... I'm wearing the heart monitor that's monitoring my heart, and I'm praying to the God. I just want to come home. And I don't understand why Como and Blasio didn't go back on their word. So I just don't think it's fair. So to this day, I'm suffering because we don't have nobody in our corner but the grace of God, you know? And I talked to my sister Nicole because, you know, she talks to me, we pray together and stuff like that, you know? But my thing is they need to go back on their word and release them to come home. Stop giving lame excuses and do their job. Tidina, when you say they, earlier you said when they came in, you're referring to the police. Yes, the um, officers of the 79th precinct at the time I was saying on decal, his name is John Young. He said he worked for the narcotics team. And they raided my apartment. They had the dogs come in. They turned up my apartment. I, I would... I, I wish I could show it to y'all because I have it on my in my photo gallery, but um, they raided it. They damaged it bad. My husband's in there for drugs. Um, after they raided it, the um, Mr. John Young threatened and told my husband, 
if he don't take the weight for it, that I was going to go to jail, that's how he's in there. But he don't need to be in there because the proof is coming up. What's done in the dark always come to the light. My, none of my information was on there. My husband wasn't on there. So which I come violate my apartment for? And it's not fair. Ty, Gina, I, I hope you'll feel by the end of the show that we're in your corner at least. And we're going to do anything we can to get your story out there and help some of that, that light get shed on the issues you're raising. Just so people at home know, um, how long has your husband been in, at Rikers Island? He is yet to be sentenced, but he has been in Rikers for how long awaiting uh, between trial and sentence for how long? He's been on Rikers Island since February 28, 2018. So we're talking That'd be about like two years. Over like two, two years now. Yeah. Over two years and not, and you know, and, and still not sentenced. No. Right. No. Uh, we'll come back to that and, and being subjected to the conditions into into COVID, potentially to COVID-19 in that, in that cramped facility. Yes. Nicole, I want to bring you in at this point. Could you tell us a little bit about the background of your story that's brought you to this moment and the situation you find yourself in now and what we need to know to kind of understand where, where you're at right now with this situation? Well, um, um, October 10th, 2018, uh, my husband, um, the cops bust into my home as well. Two, October 2018 at 4.43 in the morning and they said that they had a search warrant that I never seen, but somehow after about 10, 12 months have my husband been in jail, then they came up with a warrant. Um, he's incarcerated for, they said, a gun inside his home. Um, he been in there since October 2018, which is 20 months, without a trial, without anything. They just hold him. His bail is so high. It's like, that they got a, they gave him a bell like I'm a millionaire and I'm just a working um mother, a working wife and mother. His bell is two hundred and fifty thousand dollars or a hundred and fifty thousand dollars bond. They said because of the record he had, but the last felony he had, it was twenty years ago. So I, they saying that that's pro, that's one of the reasons why the bell is so hot. It been a struggle because it's like going back and forth is emotional for both me and my children. He's 53 years old as he's over, he's over his fifties as well. He'd be 54 in August and it's just a struggle. And it's like, um, what, what they say that they supposed to do is like, he have a right to trial soon as he get arrested, but it's like they holding him until they feel like they want to go to trial. And it's like almost some like, the young man, Khalif Wilder, that stood on Rackers Island for three years for a book bag in which he's never stolen. And I, I don't know, I heard that it's supposed to be been laws passed that they're supposed to hurry up and take them to trial, but he's still waiting to go to trial. His court date is July 6th as well. And I don't know if he's going to go to court or if they're going to have a video court. And also I found out that the cops that came in here it was in a newspaper, I think he told me it was Tuesday. The cops was came in here. It's like they under investigation now for doing fraudulent stuff and, and obtaining fraudulent warrants. It's from the 52nd precinct in the Bronx. So I'm just hopeful and praying God that that'll help him, you know, just to get out of being incarcerated for, because it's just like mass incarceration for all of these people. It's like, 
and it's unfair, you know. They want you to be pay to be free, but they don't give you a chance. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Um, I'm not rich. Um, I'm just like any other average American person, you know, just trying to just pay my bills and work and take care of my children. I I don't even have the money, and I'm. They try to get a bail reduction. The judge denied a bail reduction, and all of this. And the lawyer he had before, she never tried to get his bail reduction. So it's like so frustrating. Wow. And how, and how did I get to um uh, to us? Tradina introduced me to Mike, and I talk, and I was been talking to Mike. So I'm just trying to get the story out to let other people know that they're not alone, and like um and let the government and uh mayor know that this is not fair that y'all say that y'all gonna make the laws that the bells don't be so high so people could pay for their family members to get out of jail until they go on trial but that's not happening it's like like again i'll say two hundred and fifty thousand dollars whoo that's a whole lot of money and if i had that money i'd be in jamaica i wouldn't be here somewhere on an island but um you know yeah uh, you know, it's just too much. But I just have to hold on and be patient. And like Trudina said, wait on God. And, but I'm glad that I, ha- I met met some people that I met to talk to. And it feels like I'm not alone now after talking to you and Mike and a lot of people that is, is not alone. And that I know a change is going to come. It has to come. A change has to come because it's not fair. It's not, it's not fair for just my husband and or other people, family members is in there for this. Absolutely, you're not alone, Nicole. I mean, as you as your organization calls it, it's mass incarceration. We got millions of people that are wrapped up in this. I wanna make one uh, point clear to all of our viewers and listeners. We did reach out to, uh, to Mayor de Blasio's office, uh, inviting representatives of the city to come and field your questions and comments from our guests today. And we did not hear back from our requests. So we want to put that on the record. We actually have a screenshot of that message which they were sent by our production team. A couple numbers, Nicole, you mentioned. I want to make sure nobody forgets these numbers you mentioned. You repeated the number 250,000, the number of the, the unreasonable bail that they gave you, a working mother, you know, struggling to make ends meet. But two other numbers really shocked me when I first heard your story. One is that you're husband has been in jail, in Rikers of all jails, for 20 months without even a trial. Yes. 20 months without a trial, being subjected potentially to conditions, not only the normal uh, harshness of Rikers, but this COVID threat as well. And the other number is also the number 20. It had been 20 years since there had been any felony in your husband's record, and, and yet they still treated him as if that had been yesterday. Yes. As if, as if no one could change, as if no one could, nothing could be different, right? A whole lifetime ago. So just yes. two numbers, I think that number 20 is a number, 20 months and 20 years, something we should all remember uh, as far as numbers go. Um, Tydina, maybe I could turn it back to you and then we'll come back to you, Nicole, again. You started speaking about this, Tydina, but perhaps you can, you can expand a little bit, right? I mean, some people like to think, or people grow up thinking, what happens in prison just affects those who are in prison or jail, right? As if the world inside is separated from the world outside. 
it's it hearing you talk it seems like there's a huge clear connection between things that happen inside and the effect on people outside specifically you and your family and perhaps other people in your community i wonder if you tidina and, and nicole as well could talk about what the effects on you your family children others has been of this this uh of this mass incarceration that's come down on your loved one okay so just like uh, I left one, two things out. Number one, his, um, he don't have, the only family he has is, like I said, Heavenly Father of Above and my sister Nicole. We, we all like, we family. And I thank God for that. Thank God for, I thank God for you, Joe. I thank God for Mike. I thank God for the powerful God. Um, my husband, Bell, was $50,000. The judge, Shannon, Shannon S. Hutchison, deny every motions that he put in and she kept denying it and then the other judge that he went to was downtown brooklyn at 330 um livingston they he denied his bail too but my thing is was really bothering because i already have my brother who's upstate my husband has his brother who's upstate and i have my other brother who's upstate and i gotta deal with this then the loss of my mom is taking a whole lot of toll. I can't afford, I'm not rich. I can't afford to pay $50,000 bill for something that they keep putting on. That um, the judge, her name is Shannon S. Hutchison. She kept denying every motion he put in. She kept telling him no and stuff like that. Um, the other judge that did the same thing. What was affecting is that nobody needs to, everybody needs to understand that they are not alone. Just like Nicole said, Nobody is alone. We all in this together. We all suffering. It's worse in there because, for some fact, they ain't got no social distance. They got no hand sanitizer. My husband, he wears the mask and stuff like that. And I asked him, he said, okay. He said, be feeling sick lately. So it scares me because I don't know if he has the virus. It's two inmates that was brought in there. One, of course, from has the COVID-19. They took him out and they put him back. One was next door to his cell. They took him out, he died, and they never cleaned the cell out. My husband's in AMKC right now, and we, I'm fight, fighting for his life. And wow. it's hard because if you're a diabetic, you can easily attract with that. And right. it's, it's hard because he's a diabetic. And by um, the Blasio and Como keep saying that they're just releasing people on parole. Why is you letting them sit in there just because they have a high-profile high record? No, these people that you let out on parole had the same situation. They let murderers out. They let rapists out. But why is y'all constantly letting our loved ones still sitting there because y'all refuse to go back on your word? I can't afford to pay $50,000. $50, None of his family is with me. The only one that is with me is God. And he has a sister named Beverly, but she's in Valdosta, Georgia. And I thank God for her. But my thing is this, it's just too much. And they, my thing is they need to go back on their word and stop having us suffering. It's hard because I have heart. I have a heart problem. I have heart disease. Three valves, there's leaking. The blood is not flowing forwards, flowing backwards. And the doctor said it's not good. I'm not ready to leave. And yeah. I'm not ready to lose my husband due to, because Como and Blasio are refusing to go back on their word. All they were about is what's going on in COVID. And I, okay, we understand that. What about our loved ones that's on Rikers Island? That's you know, right. that's what I said. People that y'all they're not by themselves. You know, we're all together. We all work together. We're all gonna pull together because we got the grace of God. Yes, the judge denied my husband twice, like more than one time. 
but she let everybody else wait for this COVID-19 before this COVID-19. She was letting people go in the same situation that my husband was in. But you keep denying his bail and his motions and stuff. And then they dropped it down one time to from 50 to 49, a dollar. Then they brought it back up. Why are you constantly bringing their pass? Leave their pass alone. They pass ain't got nothing to do with what we're going through right now. Have some sympathy. But she ain't worried about it because it's not none of her family. Carmel and Blase ain't worried because it's not none of their family. We just trying to get the, we just want them to be fair. You let the paroles out, let them out, let them come home. They have a home to come to. I can't afford to pay that bill. I can't. Absolutely. Absolutely. I and mean, one thing I, I hear you, Tidina, you, you consistently mention the names of the judges and the officers. And I think that's a very important thing I'm hearing when I listen to you. We hear a lot nowadays, we're supposed to remember the names of those who have been hurt, those who have been killed by police. But we don't hear as often the names of the judges, the names of the, I mean, we hear the names of some officers, but I think it's very important you, you continue to name the people that, have, that are partly responsible for the situation that, that you and your husband is in, it seems very powerful that you, you is, I mean, that seems intentional on your part. You wanna, you wanna say their names. Yes, and I have no problem. The judge, her name is Shannon S. Hutchison. That's the judge that dealt that, with that my husband's case and kept denying his motions. And there was another tap judge, I forgot his name, but we ain't gonna go through that. So that's the judge. She's a black woman. She's in the. She's a. Um. She. She's the judge. Whatever. And the officer that came into my apartment name is John Young. He worked for the 79th precinct for the narcotics team. And I am not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed to say it. Yes, I would like to say their names. Yeah. Thank you. And th I mean, thank you for having that courage to do that, Nicole. I would like to ask you the same question about what would you say? You know, in terms of. How what's happening to your husband has affected your family? I know that you have you have little ones as well. Uh, I don't know if they're ready to, you know, if, if they're around as you're, they can perhaps speak for themselves as well. But what is that connection between what's happening inside and how it's affecting you and others on, on the outside? Well, like, um, I could tell you it's affecting my two children, my two small children, very, is affecting them really bad. I have my daughter who's 10 years old who have to take medicine in order to sleep at night because she can't sleep without her dad. She used to her dad laying next to her until she fall asleep. And then once she fall asleep, you know, she'll go to sleep. And then I have my um, grandson who's, he has, um, um, he's a spectrum of autism that he acts up, you know. I say, Chance, why are you acting up like this? He said, I'm acting like this until they let Papa come. They call my, he called my husband Papa. I'm not gonna be a good boy, Nani, to Papa come home. And my husband say, well, um, Loops, he called Loops. He said, you have to be good because you gotta be the man in the house. He said, I am Papa, but I just want you to come home. And he just busts out and cries when we gotta leave the floor, when, he, when, we, when we had the chance to go up there to visit, when we had to leave the floor, he would cry. He would, he would show out and, you know, he'd just act up and don't want to leave. The guards would have to tell him, baby, um, little man, it's time for you to go. He'd start the yelling and the screaming and the crying. It's like a piercing sound and it's, and it's like nothing I can do. And then I have a teenage son who's, that's not his biological child, but it's like his stepfather. It affected him so bad. He graduated last year from high school. He didn't even attend his graduation. 
So I didn't want to go to my graduation, mommy, because Mr. Phil is my uh, it affects me emotionally because it's my husband and it's like um it's so much it gets so overwhelming and then I got even more nervous with this COVID nineteen. It's like he had someone that was in the house area he was in that had COVID nineteen. They took him out and they never brought the man back. So you know that's that's kind of scary. And if if it's if it's okay, I'll let you let my I think we we're having Nicole. You're muted again. How it is of having her dad down. Is it okay? Yeah. Could you just do that introduction again? Because we lost your audio for one second. We yeah. Happy. Yeah. Could you just repeat yourself? We lost you for two seconds. I said I would like to introduce my daughter, having sent card, and she can tell you the effect that it has of not having her dad around. We'd be honored to have her. Okay. Here she go. Here's having sent. Say hi, having sent. Hi. Hi, Hi, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Go ahead, talk, talk. Um, um, how how I feel? It's like another piece of my heart just chipped off without my father, with like next to me, with me. One thing I can't do is live without my parents. Something I. We're losing the audio again. I don't know if we can unmute Nicole and um, and our and our additional guest here. Um, I think you're back now. Nicole, are you there? Yes, I'm there. Go ahead. Could we could we actually could we actually uh, roll back about ten seconds and you could you could pick it up? We heard we heard the beginning of what you said. We we want to hear the whole thing. So give it to us one more time, right on camera, okay? Okay. Go back. Say it from the beginning. How I feel. It's like another piece of my heart just chips off without my father, like here with me or next to me. One thing I can't do is live without my parents. Something I don't want the cop, like want the, want the judge to do is keep him there for eight years. It's something I think, my opinion, I think that cops are racist. So now I say my, now say if my dad was a white person, right? He probably would have came out the next week, but unfortunately he's black. So of course he spends a long time in jail. I'm just lucky they didn't kill him. Envy. The person who told my father was just, who told him my father was just just because my dad had a wife and kids, but to me it makes no sense because my dad has wife has a wife and kids, and I really, and all I really want for my graduation is my father, and all I want for my birthday present is my father, and all I ask for is is for my dad, nothing else but that. So tell him how it makes you feel, Daddy. It makes me it makes me feel like the like the like every day make I feel depressed and I feel sad inside because my dad's not here. And and um I can't I can't sleep because my dad's not here. Like mom said she, um my dad always used to sleep with me to lay down with me till I fall asleep, but now my dad's not here. It's a hard time for me to fall asleep because I have so much on my mind. My mom passed when I was eight. My father my father went in jail when I was nine and all like all I want for my birthday present is my dad. I want nothing else but that, and that's all I ask for. And all I take is medicine just to go to sleep because my dad's not here. All I want, is, all I want is my dad to be here. That's all I ask for. That's all I wish. I pray every night he comes home, but it just. Oh. Thank you for sharing those words with us. We feel your words in our heart right now. You know, I think anybody listening and watching this right now wants to do anything they can to help bring, bring your dad home. One thing we're going to talk about in a bit is what we can do 
I think if we could get a million people to listen to your voice, we could bring a lot of dads home. That's what I think. You're very, you're very eloquent, very well-spoken, and a thank you. Thank you for being not only brave to be on the show, but, but to be so clear and so moving with your words. That's not an easy thing to do. Thank you. You got my respect. Thank you. All right, we'll do anything we can for you. Yes, you want to talk? Okay. Bam, does, does you have somebody else there who wants to speak? Yeah, Chance. No, no pressure, no pressure, but Chance. I mean, it's, it's, your, it's your show too. Chance. You want to come and tell about how it's affecting you that Papa and I here come? Come. They only got a little bit of time. Come on. You can wait or we can come back a little bit later if somebody Please wants to me. think about it. Come on, come and tell them. Say hi. Tell them your name. Hey there. Hi, my name is Chaz. Chaz? Chaz. Chaz. All right, Chaz. Chaz. Tell it to us. Tell it. Um, I, I, it's just great to me that my father's not here. But like, I, I'm bored playing with, I'm, I'm, I'm sad and I'm bored staying home and I don't hear a lot of music. I don't hear a lot of fun. I don't hear nothing. Well, dad, so my papa, tell about papa. So go ahead, tell him. Yeah. And I'm all, and I'm also done. I don't like it. Oh, well, I don't like it because that. Because he barely didn't even do anything. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for that. I remember you telling me on Tuesday that your father was really funny, right? That he makes really good jokes. Yeah. When you say that it's boring without him, that he, he makes life fun, right? Because he's got a good sense of humor. Yeah. yeah they make you laugh, makes life better, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you told us on Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. You you, you know, you, it's really important you're speaking up. I hope you keep doing that. Okay. Okay? Do you have anything else you want to say? Just let your mom know. We'll put you back on camera, okay? Okay. All right? It's on a meeting. Nicole. Yes. I mean, it's hard. It's hard to come up with words after that. No. Uh, but I guess what I want to ask is another question about family, right? We're hearing different aspects of what it means to be family, right? I know when you and Tidina, when I met you on Tuesday, you introduce each other as, as saying you're sisters, and it was only after we talked for about an hour you said that you had met on Rikers Island. Yes. Right. Or, you know, and so I wanted to hear, I wonder, you know, that's a different way of thinking about family. If you could say a little more about how you met and what family means and how you became sisters in the sense of what that means to become sisters in this, in this situation, sisters in struggle, you might say. Uh, maybe we'll go back to Nicole and then Tidina, you can come in on that too. No problem. Um, I met, um, like I say, I'll go up to see my husband. I miss, I miss, I met Miss Tadina Brown on my way going up to see my husband. Actually, her, my, her husband and my husband used to talk first, and then we introduced each other and we we um, connected and we had a bond because it's like our stories were similar of 
you know, what happened to our husband happened to my husband. And it's like, we've been a support system ever since then, because, you know, we don't have so many people with a support system. You know, some people, sometimes they like to judge, you know, they like, oh, he's incarcerated. Maybe he deserved to be in there because of this and that. And it's not, that's not the case. You know, everyone is human beings. And, and sometimes even a stranger could be your family then. And family don't also means that you have to have the same blood, you know. Anyone could be your be your family if they're your support system, if they listen to you, if they if they give you a hug when you need it, you know. Just use someone to talk to, other than than yourself. And it is and I and I'm so grateful that I met her because she been like a real support system to her. And now that I met you, Mr. Joe and Miss Serena. And the other man and Mike, I consider y'all my family as well, because you know, y'all here to help me and to listen to, sorry, and to listen to me. Well, you know, it's like without a prejudgment, because you know, I have some family that like just judges my husband, like, well, you know, if he wasn't using drugs, if he wasn't doing this, then that wouldn't happen. It's like it's hurtful because sometimes you need support and like. So Dina said, I lost my mom, like, it was four years ago, but still every day is, is a struggle. And my husband was there to support me, you know, because I used, I was so depressed that I, I, could, I wanted to commit suicide, I can say that, but he was my strength. And it's like, with him going sometimes, it's like, what I'm going to do, but I'm glad I got you, Dina, to support me. So that's what I mean about family. It's like supporting each other in the time of need and not just good times also in a bad time. So and that's what I mean. And I, and I met her and I'm grateful that I met her. Thank you, Nicole. Tadina, would you like to speak to that too? Talk about your sisterhood, you know, whether it's about Nicole or, or about family in general, and maybe also what it's up to us has meant to you, just however you want to take it. What, is, what does sisterhood mean to you in this, in this moment? Um, just like I said, by the grace of God, God is good. I met Nicole, you know, when I was going the same way, going to Rikers Island. Her husband, my husband, they became friends in the same housing area. Um, the day when I bumped into her, I was tearing, I was crying. And God sent her to me and she was, you know, telling as we was that's how we started talking. And she was everything okay. I was like, I'm gonna miss him. And you know, she's always did you know she was she always helped me out she looking out for me you know what i'm saying she's being she's there and that's a blessing to me um as i met her i only met and i also met the babies and i say to my nieces and nephews but god sent an angel to me and that's nicole and I'm, i i i am so grateful because the day i was in there i came out crying and she came up to me she was everything's going to be all right and if it was you know any of my other family they would have thought, they still think negative of my husband. But that's why I said she's my sister because God sent the angel to me. And I am so gratefully blessed to have her in my life. You know, it's, it's hard to, it's, 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 it's like this. It's like when you know God sends somebody to you, it's for a reason. And whenever I'm upset, hurting, crying, laughing, I can call on her. She don't judge me or nothing, you know what I'm saying? You know, she don't judge my husband. We laugh, we talk about and everything. She give me good advice. Still to this day, she give me good advice. And I'm so blessed that God bless this angel in my life. 
That's why I said she's my sister, you know. Um, she looked out for me. She helped me out, you know. Um, you know, we pray and stuff like that. And like I said, she's more than a sister to me than my own sisters. And the reason why I said like that is because his sister, then them don't want nothing to do with it with him. And that's why I said I consider. That's why I said Nicole and the two babies then and her husband. They're my family and my husband him because we love them you know and it's a blessing to have her in my life i got somebody i can cry to talk to and she listens to me i can't do that to my other sisters and brothers because they won't listen but nicole she listens you know and i'm grateful for her i'm blessed i also like to thank god for the heavenly father above for for you joe and also for mike that is up to us you know putting this together because maybe it can help somebody else out to understand how they said blood's thick in the water, but I consider Nicole as my flesh and blood. Not as, I'm saying she is my flesh and blood. Her family set me and I set her, you know. Um, um, it's just been a blessing, you know. So, you know, it's a blessing to have her and I love her and I appreciate her. And I just want to thank God for her. She's a strong woman and I'm learning, you know, from her. Yeah, well, I mean, you're obviously both incredibly strong and stronger because you found each other and other people and you know you're not alone. I mean, you got, if, I mean, if, if half of, if, if people on this earth had half the heart that you have, Tidy, you know, would be, you know, place would be a better place. You know what I mean? Um, I want to ask you, speaking of family and this idea that people can become family by supporting each other, whatever their, you know, backgrounds are, whatever. Um, you know, what do you think, how can people right now who are listening, who are watching this program, who are thinking, sitting at home, what can I do? You know, how can they become kin to you? How can they help? Like, how can they help? What is it that, and this is for both of you, and maybe we could also bring Mike in too as an organizer with up, it, It's Up To Us. You know, what can people do right now? What are you calling for, both individually on your cases, and maybe as an organization, what are the things that people can do either right now or in the days ahead? Things that you think people could do, small things, big things to help help the cause that you are both so involved in. What what kind you know what kind of walls need to be broken down to get the justice that you all uh, deserve here? How can, what can people do right now to to help? Well, well oh, go ahead, Nicole. Well, I think that they can help by, you know, listening to us, um, supporting us. Um, the mayor and, the, ju and the, um, the government can listen. And these judges and these um, district attorneys need to be accountable for what they allowing for happening to our loved ones in jail, that they say one thing and they do another. 20 months in jail and not without a trial, that's just, that's just violation of his rights. And it's like they just violate their rights and violate their rights and no one seems to even care. I would like for someone to speak besides all of us here now up to us. I would like for someone else to speak and talk about how the unfairness, how they marching for the Black Lives Matter, also um, march for the um, injustice that these, these, young, these young Black men and these Black men in, in general just have, and the Hispanic men and some of them that just have the injustice of these people just doing it, and they allowing them to do it, and it's like, no one just cares. It's just like, okay, there's just someone that's in jail, it doesn't matter, but they, they lives matter too. Everyone lives matter. 
you know, they in there with COVID-19. They don't have hand sanitizers. They don't have soap. They don't have anything. They have a mask that they use, that they give to them. But they're not giving them a different mask every day. They probably let them use it probably for like two or three weeks, and then they probably change it when it says you can't leave, use that mask for like 10 times or she could get sick. And it's like, they don't care. We need for somebody to help us, to be our voice besides y'all. We need like a voice in the media. We need a voice, uh, you know, we do um, Facebook, Instagram, all these media outlets to help us to get our our stories out so people can know that is is. It's not, it's, it's not fair. It's just an injustice. And then they can hear the voice of my children about how it affects her. A 10-year-old girl who can't sleep at night, who have to be um, probably to strive medicine to sleep at night. That's just not fair. It's just we need help. And we, need, and we want it help peacefully. We don't want to protest angrily, um, no riots, nothing. We just want our fear. We just want our fair share. We just want our husbands to have their day in court, a fair day in court, not just um, the prosecution get to talk and they get to keep them in there until they, find, until they, they feel like they're ready to take them to trial 20 months. That's just crazy. Or um, 26 months, or February, March, April, May, June, like 24, 25 months, Shadina husband been in there until they decide to give him, to sentence him and he still got to wait till July. It's just, it's just not fair. Absolutely not fair. It's just unconscionable to waiting 20 months for even a trial. Yes. Ridiculous, especially even without the COVID. But with that, it's even worse. Can yes. you speak to this as well? I mean, I know it's a big question and there's a lot of different answers, but you know, to those who are listening, maybe some people have not really followed these issues much before, have not been directly touched in the way that you have by this, and maybe they're just learning. What, or maybe there are people who are active, who are protesting in the streets and are looking for what can they do to help cases like that of your husband, um, as well as Nicole's. Um, what would you say to people who are looking to try to do something to help you? Maybe they're not your family yet, but they want to they wanna help. What could they do? What would you like to see people do or, or not do? I would like to see people, you know, understand what we're going through. I would like for people to understand that it's hard, that how we suffering, and how that um, is, is, is taking a lot of toll on us and more is it on, on them. I would like people to understand that it's no time for being picky or you know saying different things about, it's not about what ha what's going on in their life, it's about what's happening right, right now. I would like them to understand that it's just real hard on us that we have to wake up in the morning. Like Nikki said, my nieces and nephew wake up without their dad there, without her husband. It's hard because, you know, I have asthma, my husband has asthma, and sometimes it's hard for me to breathe. And I dream about him, and I wake up and it's just a dream. I would like them to understand that this is something not to be, that's no joke, and that we are literally suffering. And if anything could be dealt with, could be helpful, you know, just help us, you know, be as one, you know. Um, I also would like for everybody that's also doing with the same situation that we are to share their voices, like Nicole said, you know, share your voices, spread your, your voice, and maybe something could come together, you know, not to be nasty, angry, like she said, and I agree with her, but to be, to not make fun of it. 
not to step there and judge. We don't want no judging because they don't know our story. We don't know their story, but we tell them our story and hopefully it'll pop into them like, okay, you know, maybe we can do something. Like the mayor, the Como, you know what I'm saying? They don't want to do nothing. So maybe uh, some strings would be attached to them to let them know, listen, you know, this is what it is. You let the paroles out, let them out. That's what they said. I believe, I think it'd be positive for them to hear our voices, like we spreading the voices right now, and for them to jump on. We can accept all the help we can. Yeah. I pray to God. Again, I'm a missionary. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. And I pray to God and talk to God and everything, because I know God has to say so. But my thing is, I don't want nobody to judge us because they're not in there. I want them to understand our story and to understand what we're going through and how we're feeling about it and not to judge. What I'm hearing is like three things that, that you're saying, you both have said in different ways. One is you want people to stop judging and start listening. Yes, and then yes. the second thing is that you're, you're saying you're asking for people to raise their voices too. Both people who are listening to you to tell the story and pass it on, but also yeah. people who have been hit by this situation, hit by this oppression to speak up themselves about their story because there are millions of people right who have gone through some version of this in this country that's why they call it mass incarceration right so my question for you Tidy, and i know it looks like uh, nicole has something else going on there for the moment but so i don't want to interrupt if she if it's pressing but i would like to ask you and then maybe we will also bring in organizer mike in a minute uh, and that is um the question is, uh, what do you think holds people back? And a lot of people obviously are in the streets over the last three weeks now. People are speaking up not only with their voices, with their bodies, with signs, in all kinds of ways people are speaking up. But what you point out is that you ask, you wish more people would speak up and tell their stories. What do you think holds people back from telling those stories? And what allowed you? When did you decide to start speaking publicly? I mean, I think that's Many people may feel that that's a very courageous thing to do. Not, not, as, not everyone does it. So what was it that allowed you or that pushed you to feel like you, you needed to not only talk about this in private, but to talk about it publicly, to put it in writing, to put it on video, to be on the show right now? How did you get to that point? And what would you say to other people out there who feel that they are being victimized by this system, police, prison, of course, it's all connected. What would you say to them right now, or what's your message to them to, to maybe inspire in them the courage that you are showing us right now? Nicole, you want to speak to that first? Yes. I, I, I think sometimes people, it's like they're ashamed and they it's like they feel like they'd be prejudged if they have some person that's incarcerated. Like some people don't understand like, oh, maybe they what they did was they deserve to be in jail and, you know, um, Know what they expect for somebody to help. Uh, once, a, once a criminal, always a criminal. They had to do something to do to be in there. And a, and a per and if somebody that's talk, I want them to know that we all we are here to help you. We are here to be your support system. Do not be ashamed of what happened. What one of your um, what somebody helped that happened to them because it's not their fault. Sometimes some people's at in the wrong place at the wrong time. As as they can see, it's, it's like. The cops, and I'm not bad mouthing all cops, but they can see just like you, like just like people, civilians, cops have bad attentions too. They have bad ways too. They're not above the law. 
but just as that they get away with it, they get away with the crimes they commit. They're not accountable for the crimes they commit. But like if our loved ones, they want them to be accountable, but the cops is not accountable. So they should not be ashamed. They should not be afraid to speak out about the injustice that the cops are doing. Why so? We have a voice. We have, we have freedom of speech. That's one of the amendments. We have right to free speech. As long as we're not inciting riots and doing everything, we have a right to free speech. So we should use our voices to speak and to speak positively, not negatively to against a mayor, judge, or whatever. We just want these judges to understand what are y'all doing and what y'all allowing these people to do is unfair. To have mass incarceration is just ridiculous. And it's only happened to the brown, black, Spanish people, and it's just not fair. We are all individuals that need help. That we are all just all individuals. We're not, it's not, it's not, I'm just sick of the, oh, a race of white, black, this, that. We all are one human race. That's all that matters. I can, God forbid, if I get sick, Joe, Joe, you probably can help me out. Or Mike probably can help me out by giving me some blood or something that can help me. It's just, I'm tired of it. All of us deserve fair, fair and um, fair um, things. All of the, the black men, all of us, they deserve the fairness. Not if you are a Caucasian man and if you committed the same crime, you get, paro you get parole. Or if you got a high priced lawyer, he could get you out of jail, just like my baby said. If he had a lawyer, if he was white, and it's and it's so it makes me sad to hear her say that, because I'm teaching her now that we all are human race. But it's so sad that that's what that they feel like. Oh, if if my dad was a certain color, he would have been out. And like I said, I don't want no um my husband not to be accountable for a crime that he did commit. But he didn't commit a crime. He didn't not commit a crime. The gun which they came in and said was his, wasn't his. And if I be truthful, you know, he wasn't right. He was outside doing drugs. He was doing what he wasn't supposed to do. But sheesh, you want to have him sitting in jail for all of that time? They, they offered him eight years for a drug, for a gun that's in his house. That's just impossible. Then you set his bell so high that he can't even get out. So I just want people to know we are with you. You have people like Mike, who, who's the organizer, if it's up to us. He's a very supportive person. And you, Joe, um, you, Joe it's, like, it's like I didn't see you in person, but just talking to you, I could feel that there's no judgment. You honestly want to help. You know, some people just want to get a story out, but I know y'all just want to help. Y'all not out to get clout. Like, oh, you see, I got a story. Oh, maybe I can sell it to the news to get money. Y'all actually wants to help. And that makes me so happy that it's like people that want to help help me. You know, you don't know me like that. You just know my name. You don't know me, but you're willing to help me. And I appreciate that. And I want these people to know too. It's people out here like you and Mike that wants to help. And the Mr. Serene who's doing the broadcast, who wants to help us. It's no judgment. You know, y'all want to help. Y'all want to um, want justice for all of us, not just for the for one race or one what for one human being for all human beings because we all are one and i just want to thank y'all again for allowing me to voice my opinion 
about what things is going on. And they should know what's going on inside the jail. These beds is close to each other. It's not no social distance in there. And these men could get sick. And it's like, okay, y'all got them in there for a crime that y'all said. And y'all said that they innocent until proven guilty. It's like they're guilty until proven innocent. Should they come out in a body bag from COVID-19? Or y'all worrying about people in the street? You and everybody lives matter. All the people lives matter. In prison, out of prison, homeless, not homeless, rich, poor, we all are human beings. All our lives matter. If something happens to each of somebody, it's going to affect the same, the same person. It's going to affect the mother if something happened to their child. It's going to affect the father. It's going to affect the wife or girlfriend or somebody if, it, if, if something happened. And I just get so nervous sometimes with the COVID-19. When he cough, I guess, I'd be like, babe, why are you coughing? No, babe. My throat, I was like, I got something in my throat. I'm so nervous. I was like, when I go to sleep at night, I just pray to God that I wake, that he wakes up the next morning to call me, that I ask him, and I don't wake up till like seven o'clock for work. I ask him to call me so I could get the relief, like, yes, he's okay. But with this COVID-19, you never know. And it's like, oh, let's keep them in jail because, you know, they black, they brown, they this, you know, they said they did it. The cops said they did it. And they and the cops is not always honest. So, but again, I just want people to know, if if I can, I support you any way that I can. That's that's what I, I like to say. And thank you for letting me for uh, letting me for letting my voice be heard. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your voice, Nicole. I mean, I get chills just listening to you. What you say is so powerful, and I think it really speaks to the power of people raising their voices because one person can really inspire another person to do the same thing. And I think, you know, I think, you know, I, I you know, I, my heart goes out to you and I'm just so thankful you're on this, this broadcast. And I hope that we can make a difference on some of these cases as, as one thing you, I think you pointed out on Tuesday is that each of the cases, both, both your husband's cases, there are abnormalities with the warrants. There's questions about the way that they, you know, think the way not only, you know, not only the delay, but various problems. Would you agree that if you had the money to hire that $250,000 uh, attorney, probably your, your husbands wouldn't be in jail at all. Yep, no, they wouldn't be. They wouldn't be at all. You, if, you had, if you had all the best, you know, legal, right, that money could buy, you, you wouldn't even be facing this problem, right? Nah. So I, I would see a lot of rich people in prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, yeah. what you also point out is that even whatever the sentence would be, right, some of these, for these small, like, you know, relatively sm short sentences, right now we have your husbands are being, put in a position where they might have to pay with their very life for these, yep. for these minor crimes. Yep. Meanwhile, you look, turn on the news a week, you know, a couple weeks ago, you see, you see men, mainly white men, right, parading around the Michigan State Hall with their, you know, M16s, right, yeah. talking about gun possession. So there's clearly some huge double standards, as you're pointing out, right, when it comes to what counts as uh, justice in this country. And I mean, I think a lot of people are waking up to that as we see in the streets. People from all walks of life are waking up to these long, you know, 400-year-old injustices here. Tidina, do you want to speak to this issue of what it took to speak out, uh, why you decided to speak out, and what you hope speaking out accomplishes? The, um, the, what took me, gave me the initiative to speak out because I'm just tired. Like I said, my brother, who's incarcerated upstate, my, uh, two of my brothers and my cousin and now my husband. It gave me the 
uh, uh, the uh, a thing to speak on because I'm I'm tired. I'm I'm tired. I don't want to. It's hard to hear a family member being incarcerated when there's like a couple of them up there already, and it's even worse that is down here. It gave me the ability to speak out on because I'm just tired of hearing about prison, jails, and family. What gave me the power to speak out because um, I'm just, to be honest, I'm just tired. I'm, I'm tired. It's just that they just have to come home. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And it gave me the urge to speak out is because as long as they've been sitting in there, you know what I'm saying, they suffering. And when they suffer, we suffering. And it's really hard because, like I said, it's hard because having families, um, my family upstate in jail, um, having my husband on Rikers Island, it, it's too much. But I know I hold who holds the key. I know God holds the key. And my thing is, if nobody never experienced, if anybody understand would need our help, we are there for them. But just don't come and bring judgment to my yeah, my husband never did this, my husband never did that, and stuff like that. We don't want that type of remorse on us, you know? Yeah. Speaking out through my situation, I was nervous. I was scared. I didn't know how I was going to do it, how I was going to get up there. But um, I prayed and talked to God about it. And, you know, like they say, speak what you got to say. The reason what gave me really more opportunity to speak because my husband is my backbone. Whenever um, something was wrong, he's there. My paperwork. All my doctors know my paperwork. He's on all my paperwork. And what had me to go through speaking about my situation is for them to understand that whether you have a condition you, or you don't have a condition, it's right to speak on how you feel. And was it putting you through, your loved ones is through, and not to judge what people is going through in there. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's just hurtful because I'm, I'm just tired of hearing any family members don't need to be in there. No, not upstate, not on Rikers Island. I'm just tired. What gave me the urge to speak is just me being tired of it. I'm tired. Absolutely. I mean, there's plenty to be tired about. And that's why maybe it's so important that you find other people to help sustain and, and give you, help you with that backbone when they've ripped the backbone away from you, right? An attack on, you know, one person clearly connects and becomes an attack on another. And we want to do whatever we can to support you, not only today, but going forward, too. And we'll share any statements you have, videos you have. We'll do anything we can to make as many people hear the truth that you are speaking right now. I think people need to hear it. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah, but could we actually, uh, could you make a little note in the, in the chat box? We'll, we'll bring you in in a moment. We're going to go to our next speaker, and then we'll have some question and answer. Is that good? Okay, Mike, I'd like to bring in our, our third speaker, and we will come back to Tydeen and Nicole. We also are joined on, on the Zoom here with, uh, with Chris Conyers, who has uh, some personal experience to relate as well. Mike Nugent, uh, organizer with It's Up to Us to End Mass Incarceration. Mike, we've heard a lot here, and I think what we've already heard and what you know, really speaks to the goals of your organization, as I understand it, which is really to foreground and and build leadership among those who are most affected by this mass incarceration system mike i mean thank you for your work thank you for being here and could you say a little bit about you know how you got involved or what the mission of it's up to us is and you know some of your analysis of why this mission is so important uh, and maybe why it's a little different than some of the other activism that's being done out there there's so much activism going on right now that's probably a good thing for the most part 
but you have a specific focus with this organization. Could, could you tell us a little bit more about It's Up to Us and, and your approach to things, Mike? Yeah, I mean, to be blunt, I mean, this is, I mean, I'm very moved just by hearing Nicole and Tidina speak today, and I'm always moved when they speak. And um, I think my analysis is that it's more important when people like Nicole and Tidina and Chris, who's about to speak, you know, speak, than to hear my analysis. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, um, I, I, I feel like, you know, we need to build a movement of mass resistance to mass incarceration that's spearheaded by the people most affected, by the prisoners, by the family members, by the ex-prisoners. I mean, that's, that's tens of millions of people. There are 2.3 million people locked up today in, 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 in U.S. You know, jails and prisons. And basically, like, you know, there are millions and millions more like Tidina and Nicole that are affected by their loved ones being in prison. And kind of, you know, I think this, you know, I think, you know, Nicole and, and Tidina talked about the necessity for, for peaceful protest, you know, but people rioted and rebelled because they didn't have a voice, because they were not being heard. And the system is responsible for that. And basically, you know, it creates an opportunity for us organizing around mass incarceration to, uh, to get though, you know, to get voices heard, it creates an opportunity that, you know, people are paying attention to this now, and we can get Talbert's story out there, and we can get Philip's story out there, and we can basically, like, build around the, like, sort of what's, you know, the, the anger around police brutality, and kind of, you know, and, and, and get these, you know, basically fight, you know, and win some victories around mass incarceration and ending mass incarceration, but really, it has to be a movement that's, you know, with, with, with you know, that involves, uh, you know, lawyers and students and, 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 and activists and so forth. But it's really the families, you know, the prisoners and the ex-prisoners that need to be at the, um, at the forefront, front, you know, uh, front and center. Uh, of this movement and basically like I think you heard today like how powerful it is when the mo when those who are affected speak speak about what they're going through I think you see that Nicole and Tidina are leaders and kind of like that's what we need we want to organize the families and the prisoners to become leaders of this movement and smash mass incarceration and, 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 and get rid of it once and for all. Thank you, Mike. Uh, I totally agree that the voices we've heard from Tidina and Nicole are incredibly moving and incredibly, and know this system in a way that nobody, you can know it from just books alone, right? And from reading all the activist you know, pamphlets in the world. Uh, Mike, I wanna come back to you for you know, some more of your you know, political analysis in a bit nonetheless, but I think we, right now it would be good if we could bring in Chris. We didn't. We're actually uh, yeah. privileged to have with us uh, Chris Conyers, who um, wrote to me in the chat box to say, or to all of us to say, that he's actually one of the people that, that Mike has worked with in the past and that's been involved uh, in some of this organizing. Chris, welcome to Shelter and Solidarity. Thank you. Chris, thank you for being here. Um, 
you wanted to ask a question and make a statement, Chris. I, I would just like to open up this space to you. As Mike was saying, we need to hear hear your voice. You you uh, you have some relevant experience and observations to share. So lay it on us. Well, um, my deepest and most sincere emotions go out to the two sisters that you know were just speaking, Tydena and Nicole. I didn't get to hear the entire um, you know voice of what it was that you were saying, but I understand, you know, I was one of the individuals who was incarcerated for 16, 17 months before actually going to trial for a crime that, you know, the district attorney knew that I didn't commit because the victim himself said that, you know, I didn't commit the crime. Um, the victim originally made a statement saying that, you know, I was involved in it or I was there where the crime was committed. But um, he later on recanted his statement. He went to the court system. He actually took the paperwork himself. He got it notarized and everything. You know, he spoke to the district attorney and everything. But she she didn't listen, you know. So I sat in prison for 16 months. Um, I committed some atrocities in my in my past, but I'm I'm a firm believer and I'm a firm advocate that people can change. I'm no longer the individual that I once was. I made some mistakes like we probably have all done, you know, when we were younger, you know, we experiment, we do things that we know we shouldn't. However, um, I am not a criminal and I am not characterized by my crimes that I've committed in my past. You know, I too deserve forgiveness. I too uh, deserve a second chance. I too am and can be a productive member of society. Um, the system has been twisted for a long time. It's not, you know, this is not anything new, unfortunately. What insight I would give is basically that um, I heard Nicole say that, you know, she doesn't really want to protest, but believe it or not, this civil unrest that everybody's going through right now with, you know, the race riots and stuff like that, this is what has brought attention to majority of the atrocities that have been committed by, you know, America. Uh, mass incarceration is just one of them. The war on drugs is another one. Um, you know, we can go on and on and on and on and on. Um, you know, gentrification and, you know, the list goes on. But we have to protest. We have to protest. Um, the protests should be peaceful. They should be strategized. Um, the biggest voices that could ever be heard are voices such as my own and voices like, you know, you two sisters have just, you know, put out there. People need to hear you. People need to hear you. You need to encourage your husbands and, you know, your significant others to write letters to Mike, um, write letters to Kelly, which is, you know, his partner and It's Up To Us, and not just them other men who are incarcerated with them because, you know, these things do get heard. Maybe they don't get heard as much as we would, you know, prefer for them to be heard, but they do get heard. You know, it's not a, it's, it's not 300 people on this Zoom chat, but, you know, each one teach one. And, you know, we all pass the word on. So, you know, the, the, the system is, has been broken. It's been broken. A lot of the laws and things that we know of are not necessarily laws 
there's a lot of penal codes and you know ordinances and things like that that aren't necessarily uh you know factual but i learned these things you know while being incarcerated um we have to protest them we have to protest we have to speak out against these things um the word has to definitely be spread not just you know on things like this like this zoom there has to be you know other podcasts we possibly have to get on you know mainstream radio stations you know wbls and you know v103 and you know because people listen to this stuff and attention has to be brought to it because there's no household in america white black brown or indifferent that is lacking a man and you know there's nothing wrong with it every household that is lacking a man period there's something you know there's there's an imbalance there every household deserves you know the right to have a, a father or a male figure in it so you know i understand the pain com completely because i was that missing entity you know i have 11 year old son you know me and his relationship have been tarnished tremendously you know i spent a lot of time out of his life you know through my incarcerations and um you know this system knows you know that it doesn't make anybody better anybody that goes to prison whether or not it's for a crime that you committed or you know being suspected of committing a crime it doesn't make you better you come out bitter come out bitter you come out you know upset um not necessarily looking for revenge but you come out you know feeling as though you were robbed of something you know robbed of life in certain countries it's not it's not even considered a crime you know to run away from you know the police in fact here it's not it's not considered a crime if, if an officer you know speaks to you or he tries to say something to you and you run away by law it's not a crime for you to walk away or you know run away but you know these are the things that we get arrested for but you know like there's a the biggest problem i would say is that you know we've a lot of us have been you know indoctrinated to believe things are true that are not true uh police are not here to teach law they're not here to uh, um, even implement law they're called police because they enforce policy okay policy and law are two different things law is you know the law of the land it's, it's it doesn't matter where you are you know, law is constitutional. You understand, like our, our Second Amendment rights, you know, the right to bear arms, the right to freedom of speech, these are laws. What we know of and the things that, you know, we get arrested for are not, that's not law. So a lot of the things that, you know, black and brown people, you know, and, and, and impoverished people are being arrested for, we're not even really committing crimes. But the system has to make money. And it's, it's, it's always been about money. It's always been about money. You know, so, I mean, the biggest thing that I could say is I know we might not want to protest, but this is what we have to do. Not only do we have to protest, uh, we have to speak out as loud as we possibly can through social media. Uh, there's a lot. It spread like wildfire, you know, the riots and stuff like that and the looting and everything that was going on when, you know, George Floyd was killed and everything. But... We need to bring just as much attention, if not more, to the mass incarceration. 
um, to the twisted justice system. Uh, and, you know, just keep a focus on that, you know, but we have to, you know, create this same civil unrest that is going on about going on about uh, George Floyd and, you know, other black and brown people being killed. We have to spread that same that same civil unrest about this this mass incarceration thing. Yeah. Because I I've I've been a victim of this numerous times, you know. So it's just, it's not, you know, it's it, it's a it's a revolving door. You know, once you get trapped up by it one time, it's like it's hard to, you know, kind of stay out. And I don't live the same life that I I actually work for the same company that Mike works for now. You know, I work with, you know, people who have experience in mental health. You know, I help people. This is what I do. So, you know, like, at the end of the day, like, I'm a productive member of society, and I could have been a long time ago, but I was never given a chance by this justice system, you know? So, like, but that's what I would say. Yeah, thank you for that, Chris. I mean, so many powerful points in what you just said. I mean, I think one thing that really resonated with me was uh, this insistence that people can change, even if people have made mistakes, right? And one of the really inhuman things about the system we deal with in this country, and I'm not only in this country, but is this insistence that if people have been convicted, forget, forget even whether they did it or not, right? Convicted of a crime, or even just accused or arrested for a crime, that they, that they lack humanity, that not only are they presumed to be guilty, like Nicole said, but if they are presumed or convicted to be guilty, then that's the end of them, as if you could just flush their humanity down the toilet, right? And that's just so profoundly wrong, because as you point out, if there's one thing that's true of all human beings, you know, they're capable of change. And then maybe if there's one other thing true of all human beings is nobody is without, you know, without fault. Nobody has, I mean, I'm sure everyone who's driven a car has, has violated the speed limit at some point. In fact, you, if, you, if you drive and you don't violate the speed limit, you might get pulled over for going too slow. But some people violate the speed limit and then have to pay a price in years and other people can get away with it. So this whole idea in America and in this so-called justice system, right, that like some people are innocent and other people are, some people are completely innocent and some people are completely guilty. It seems to be one of the big barriers, right? Would you agree with that? One of the big barriers in people's minds that holds back change is this idea that you can just divide people up into the good and the bad, right? The people that that's, are work that deserve to have rights and the people that don't. That's that's kind of how they they they've conquered us, you know. The the main tool in order to be able to conquer something is you have to divide it. Once it's divided, you know they they that's it. You kind of lost the battle. I like to say that the only thing that human beings are perfect at is being imperfect. There's no such thing as a perfect person. If you show me a perfect person, I'll show you an angel. You know, yeah. So yeah. they don't exist. You know, Thank perfect you. people don't exist. Chris, Nicole, things that you said sparked uh, Nicole to want to rejoin the conversation. Uh, I don't know if it was on the issue of what the question of protest and strategy or if Nicole had something else she, uh, she wanted to jump into. Nicole. Uh, you want to jump back in? Yeah, I was just to say to Chris, I never said that we shouldn't protest, but I said when we protest, we should do it peacefully so it won't seem that we are angry and that they won't listen to us because if we seem that we are angry while we protesting, like they won't listen to us. Never not not do I want us not to protest because we should, so our voice could be heard. But while protesting, I just want us to do it 
peacefully and not angrily because when you scream, you never get heard because the other person that you're screaming and the other person is screaming and no one is getting heard. So that's the only thing that I wanted to say. Thank you, Nicole. And I think, Chris, do you want to speak back to that? Or do you? How come? Yeah, I may have, you know, misinterpreted what she said. Um, I don't, there's, there's, it's even been said as far as, you know, uh, like when the president spoke and, you know, things of that nature, different people spoke. I love spoke. you, babe. They said that, um, you know, there's a difference between the protesters, the looters, and, you know, another group of people. We, we don't want to loot. No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. When I say create the civil unrest, when we march out in the streets by the thousands, you, you know, you, you kind of stop traffic. You understand what I'm saying? It, it just, you stop traffic for numerous different reasons. People want to know what's going on. You know, um, you, you, you prevent cars and stuff like that. Not necessarily to cause any damage or anything like that, but you just bring attention. When they see groups of thousands of people marching, it, 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 it creates this civil unrest that people want to know what is going on, what happened, you know, mm. what happened. That's the question that people ask. So that's what I mean by, you know, we, we have to protest. Not that we go break anything or we go, you know, rob any stores. I, under no circumstances, these are crimes, you understand? People get harmed in the process of it, you know? So that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, you know, and maybe I misinterpreted what you said, Nicole, and, you know, I apologize if I did. However, we have to march in the streets by the thousands mm -hmm. and, you know, hold up the Brooklyn Bridge. We have mm -hmm. to hold up the, Amen. You know, the Amen. Manhattan Bridge. You know, Amen. we have to, we got to, we got to stop, you know, we got to stop traffic and make people say, yo, yep. what happened? What Amen. happened? What's That's going right. on? Yeah. Yep. That's right. And you, and you don't have to, you don't have to apologize, Chris. I know it was probably a misinterpretation, but I just don't want us to do like the looters did, go out and destroy people's property because the people that have properties don't have, you know, they don't have anything to do with, you know, what's going on. Some people might say, oh, you know, it's the Caucasian. But like I was telling Mike and, and, and um, Joe, we all are a human race. Some people don't look at it like that, but that's the way I want to look at life. And that's the way I want my kids to look at life. You know, it's just sad that we, that all of us don't have the same mentality and listening to you, I see how much you have grown and stuff. And it's like, I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you got a second chance to prove who you was and that you wasn't a, a you wasn't an incarcerated man. You wasn't a, a black man that deserved to just be in jail, that you was a human being who your mother raised you to be a strong black individual or strong person anyway. And um, I'm glad that you shared your story. So it gives me hope that my husband will be looked at same like you and not just, oh, he just came home. He don't want to do nothing, you know, because that's the stigma that they have of some of the people that come home because some of the p people come home and they don't want to be productive. They want to go back to doing the same thing they do. I also want to march for that and talk about that as well. But that's not the platform right here to talk about it. I'm just saying, you know, so stop all would, of this I nonsense. Think, so I think you're, it sounds like you're in agreement. I mean, and it, I mean, many people have been commenting on the, the rebellions. Of course, many people have made it clear that when there have been riots or property destruction, a lot of the time what brought that on was actually violence against people from the police, right? And then property destruction follows from, right, the police 
uh, actually using violence against people, the police interpreting the kind of thing that Chris is talking about, stopping traffic, even if it's nonviolent, as if it's a violent right. order. So, I mean, mm -hmm. one thing I've heard going around, people, even people who advocate massive nonviolence as the best possible strategy, you know, invoking Martin Luther King and others, some people say, well, you know what? If it wasn't for the property damage, American media and politicians would just be ignoring the whole thing. The paradox sometimes seems to see the nonviolent voice, the, you know, the, I don't even say nonviolent, but the voices only get heard when something makes the mainstream America pay attention. I don't know what you all think about that. Is that, is that does that sound right to you? Or is that, that's an analysis I'm hearing out there, that idea that, you know, that maybe more people will hear people, the stories like y'all are saying precisely because some people have gotten so angry they just can't take it anymore. I mean, is that, is that a, do you see it that way or is that a, is, is that different than the way you see it? Do you see, or do you see like, uh, Me? I don't know, does anybody want to speak to that? Uh, you want to come back to that, Nicole? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I don't, well, some people, in my opinion, I'm going to start with my opinion. Maybe they say that if there wouldn't have been violence in the media, but I've seen a lot of protesting that was not violent and a lot of people got hurt like by the, I live in the Bronx and they was by the Supreme Courthouse and they, and the news was out there and they heard them and they wasn't doing no violence and stuff. I mean like violence to violence, in my opinion, I'm not saying it's, you know, it's written in stone. I'm just saying it's my opinion that sometimes violence don't, don't, um, don't get things done. It's not the key. And we could go back to Martin Luther King. He did it. It was nonviolence when people started to become violent. He said, I don't want that. The stories I read, I don't want it to be violent because again, violence, they don't want it. They don't want to be heard. I mean, like, that's just my opinion of, of this. Other people might have another, have different opinions, but I just don't think violence is the key to anything. Okay. And I mean, this is obviously a big question many people are talking about, but maybe we could broaden it out a little bit, not just the question of so-called violence versus nonviolence, but the question of strategy. That's a, that's a word that Chris used a moment ago, right? That there needs to be resistance and rebellion and protest, and it needs to be strategic. And I guess, you know, Absolutely. I would welcome you all to speak to this question of like, what does it mean? And maybe we can open it up for others who have been listening to the conversation. I know we have a lot of people who've been following these issues very closely, including Victor Wallace, who's written a lot about this and corresponds with many people on the inside as well, including revolutionary organizers inside prisons. What does it look like? What's the strategy that can win here? You know, what, what are the changes? I mean, a lot of people right now are putting out the demand, you know, defund the police, abolish the police or dismantle. You know, what, what do you think is the strategy forward? How, how can we, how can you, how can this cause you know, win? I mean, that's a big question, but I'm sure you all have thoughts of that, you know, uh, and we're always thinking about that, not only what's the right and what's wrong, but how can we actually change it? Um, Mike, would you like to speak to that or, or, you know, a little bit? I know as an organ organizer, I'm sure you have some thoughts about that, but I'd love to hear everyone's thoughts about what is the strategy right now, both in terms of things, demands people are making, but also maybe those uh, strategies and methods of organizing that can actually get us the change that you know people have been wanting for generations yes yeah definitely um i think strategically um like i was saying before it's going to take a ma a movement of mass resistance somewhat somewhat along the lines of what chris was talking about 
you know, Matt, you know, spearheaded by the family members and the prisoners and the ex-prisoners. It's going to have to take place inside the prisons, outside the prisons. It's going to be spearheaded by the people most affected, but they're going to have their friends. You know, we, we do political uh, education when we meet, you know, and, and, and we talk about kind of who are our friends and who are our enemies. And we kind of break that down, you know, and we try to find whether or not we kind of, you know, how we see these things, basically. Um, it's, you know, we, we think that um, we started, we started out by going to, you know, going to the buses, you know, where families are, are, are going to see their loved ones and talking about, to them about the way their loved ones are treated, the way that they're treated. You know, what we've done is like launch campaigns to start around individual uh, particular injustices. Christian, you know, basically was being railroaded for something he didn't do and it was obvious. And we, you know, we, 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 we you know, we, 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 we had people call the, uh, the prosecutor's office and basically demand that he be released. He had a good lawyer um, that, you know, that really, that cared about him, which a lot of people often don't have. Um, and, you know, he won his trial. Um, basically, we've launched campaigns around individual, you know, particular, particular, particular instances of injustice. And, you know, we've had people, you know, call, you know, prosecutors, call the judge, you know, there was a, there was a, a, a um, recently someone that we organized who, you know, who had bipolar disorder and was hit with a gun charge and basically his, his, you know, because he resisted arrest, you know, he was going through, you know, whatever he was going through in terms of his mental health, but he was hit with a $500,000 bail. And we basically like, you know, called all of our contacts that we've met through the work we do at the buses. We've, you know, we've, we've reached over, you know, we, hundreds of, we have a contact list of hundreds of people. And we basically demanded that, you know, we put out a demand that people call the, the prosecutor, call the judge and demand that he be given mental health court um, and that he be given mental health treatment. Um, so basically like, we feel like by organizing the families around these particular injustices that they're going through, that we can then build up organization, build up collective power to then launch larger struggles, struggles against the treatment of visitors when they go to see their loved ones, you know, invasive searches and things of this nature, campaigns against solitary confinement, ending solitary confinement, until eventually we built up so much power, so, so big of a movement that, you know, we can end mass incarceration once and for all. And we, we really think that's possible because of the tens, the tens of millions of people that are affected. Again, it's not just the prisoners, it's people like Nicole and Tidina who are, uh, who, who basically, uh, um, you know, are affected as family members. Yeah. So, um, so that, you know, that is kind of how we look at what we're trying to do. And we, you know, encourage, you know, other, you know, other people who are, who may be listening on Facebook, watching this on Facebook, if they have a story or if they have a loved one that's incarcerated, um, get in contact with us, 
tell us your story and let's, you know, let's find out how we can work together. Like, you know, Nicole and Tadina have been saying, we're, we're here to support, we're here to build a movement to end mass incarceration. And, uh, and that's kind of how we look at what we're doing strategically and tactically. Yeah, that's powerful, Mike. I mean, I think the storytelling is a way to break down the artificial divisions between people, right? And expose the system. I mean, it seems like one of the things about a system of so-called criminal justice, mass incarceration, it's designed to make people feel alone, right? It takes like social issues like, you know, like poverty, right? Or like lack of access to good jobs. And then instead of dealing with it as a collective issue, a social, political, economic issue, it turns it into an individual issue. Oh, you sold a bag of a weed, so you're a criminal individual, and then try to make people feel ashamed of that. So I think what the work you're doing to break down those walls between people and allow people to see how they're so connected already is really powerful. I mean, as you pointed out earlier, it's literally when you count the former prisoners, and you might even count the people who the, the system's looking to put in prison who aren't in prison yet, and you count the family members, you are talking about tens, not just millions, but tens of millions of directly affected people. It's not just some marginal small group, right? We're talking about a huge part of the American working class, right? And the population that is directly affected. And imagine if all those people were speaking up as bravely and clearly as Tydina and, and Nicole are right now and Chris, right? I mean, it, it, it could shake the foundations of this, this whole society. And maybe that's what needs to happen. I would love to, as our show always promises, to bring in a question and answer from other people who are listening in. I know we have a couple people on the line right now, including Victor Wallace and Bruce Simon from New York, Victor from Boston, uh, who, who pay a, to close attention to these issues. I'd love to take your comment or question. And then after we hear those comments and questions, we'll go back to, um, to Tydina and to Nicole and maybe Mike for some closing words to wrap up this episode. Uh, Victor, would you like to, to speak sure. first? You know, Victor Wallace, for people who don't know, has written extensively and edited and worked on these issues for years and actually is actively corresponding with dozens of people who are currently in prison, including people who are organizing politically inside, uh, including uh, Kevin Rashid Johnson, who was on our very first episode of Shelter and Solidarity, calling in from inside prison. We couldn't get him today, though we tried, because the repression has gone up lately because of all the organizing that's going on. We do hope to get Kevin Rashid back to a future episode, but we don't have Kevin, but we do have Victor Wallace. So Victor, lay it on us. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate your invitation. And I want to express my appreciation also of all the comments that have been made so far, uh, the stories that are very moving and that uh, represent the, the pain that so many people have suffered as a result of this. Uh, my, one of my efforts has always been to put this whole issue in the context of other issues, because I think we need to build a movement that can, uh, let's say, transform power at the national level. And one of the most useful observations I've heard in relation to the current uh, conflicts uh, in that connection uh, was made by uh, the economist Richard Wolff, who has an excellent program called Economic Update. He essentially, he had a program about looting, and he said, who are the real looters? And he said, well, the people who uh, stripped 40 million people of their livelihoods by taking away their jobs, and then the members of Congress who gave billions of dollars to the corporations uh, and peanuts to uh, the victims of the economic slump, 
and uh, had had no uh, no sense of responsibility, no sense that uh, that they were uh, in any way uh, doing anything out of the ordinary. So I mean, this gets into the whole question of what is the law, who makes the law, uh, what is the total structure of the society. Um, I, apart from that kind of general observation, um, yeah, I, I would also say that uh, many of the prisoners that I've corresponded with are extremely interested in putting their, their plight in this larger context and in organizing, having study groups to understand the, the need for a, a movement that takes on all these issues. Because ultimately, in order for everybody, uh, let's say the vast majority, the working class in the society to act together, there has to be a sense of the common interest and, and breaking down the divisions between us. So it's, it's uh, beyond my capacity to say uh, quickly how, how, how this can be done. It, it's a, it's a long-running uh, discussion, but I guess the point that one can make is that uh, we have to involve a wide range of people in the process. Yeah. I mentioned, I, I was thinking of this especially uh, when uh, you were speaking of the uh, excessive bail. You know, there's a big movement now to get rid of the whole institution of money bail, which is a clear-cut discrimination against against poor people. And one of the most encouraging developments was the uh, election of the district attorney in San Francisco, Chesa Boudin, who has already freed a, a quarter of the uh, people who are in the San Francisco jails and who is, uh, has a policy of eliminating cash bail. So it, it is possible. It, it, it's, in a way, is even... Uh, the whole idea of excessive bail is in violation of the Bill of Rights of the, of the Constitution, but that seems somehow uh, to have been forgotten. So uh, I, uh, one other thing I would quickly mention in this context, a, a very useful publication for uh, communication among prisoners and their outside supporters is a monthly newspaper called the San Francisco Bayview. I, I, I don't know if you are familiar with it, but it, it has an online presence, sfbayview.com, but it also, very importantly, has a print edition because that's the only way it can reach uh, the prisoners inside. And so it's a very important vehicle of communication, which is got actually soon uh, going to have an editorial transition. And one of it, uh, it uh, hopefully its new editor, will be uh, uh, a man I've been in, in correspondence with for some years who's getting out after 13 years uh, in prison and who's a a really a real uh, prison leader, intellectual. He's written a lot already. His name is, uh, is uh, Keith Malik Washington. Uh, you, may, you may have heard of him. So he is, as well as Kevin Rashid Johnson, are among the leaders of this whole process. But uh, there's an en enormous motivation among those prisoners that I've uh, had the privilege of getting to know to educate themselves. And of course, in some ways, they have the raw material for education that many of our other students lack because they are mm -hmm. exposed directly to the repressive structure, which is the essence of a society that's built on an, an incredible level of inequality. And so, so I think the more people uh, relate to that whole issue, the more we can bring together a wide stretch of the population and constitute a political force that can ultimately change things. I'll pass it now. That's that's, thank you for that, Victor. So many great points. I know Kevin uh, Rashid Johnson writes to say that we need to turn, you know, the movement needs to turn the razor wire pl slave plantations of prisons into schools of liberation, right? As one of his, his calls, the, the powerful prisoner voices. And, and I think 
That's the San Francisco Bay View. We put a, Seren put a link to it in the chat box. We'll put it up on our Facebook page as well. There are, we need to support these existing publications and build upon them. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. We can learn from what people have already done. Going after excessive bail seems so important and really does speak to Tidina and Nicole's stories too, right? The system that, that slaps bails on people that have no chance of affording in this, under this system. And I think the point you make about looting is very important too, Victor. Maybe we should make a rule. You can talk about looting and the small sh shop owner, you know, the people on media, they can be allowed to talk about the property damage if they first talk about the trillion dollars that was just stolen from the American people and handed over to big business and Wall Street and financial ca capitalism, right? 500 billion that then the banks can turn into trillions of dollars of loans, right? If that trillions was given directly to the people, there'd probably be a lot less crime, wouldn't there? Right? So, I mean, maybe we should make a word. You know, you can talk about looting only if, if you're not going to talk about that looting, you have to shut, out, shut up about the other kind of looting. You know what I mean? I'm talking about people in power who want to talk about the looters, right? So, Victor, thank you for that comment. We'll, we'll hear what the, the rest of the group thinks about it in a moment. Let's take Bruce. Bruce, I know you had a point about New, a specifically New York point. We have, this, we, this is kind of a New York show today in some days. We got, we got Bronx and Brooklyn, and, and we got you upstate, I believe, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Bruce, I'm, welcome I'm, back. Thank you. I'm, I'm out in Western New York, and about 20 years ago, I edited an issue of Workplace, a journal for academic labor, called The Prison Issue. And the issues have not changed that much in 20 years. In many ways, they've gotten worse. Um, there have been some glimmerings of hope uh, in New York as Democrats have taken every branch of government. Um, we did eliminate cash bail last year, but now it's getting rolled back or it's, it's in the process of being rolled back. Um, Governor Cuomo just issued an executive order. And this is where my question comes in because I'm, I'm wondering if people see this as an opportunity or as a threat. The executive order, um, as he's described it at least, uh, would withhold state funding from any locality that doesn't pass laws by April 1st of next year to reinvent or reform policing in their locality. So my question is, you know, what do we want? What, what would we like to see out of the police? What would we like to see in place of mass incarceration? What are we going for? What's our vision and how do we achieve it? And how do we achieve it in every city, every town, every county in New York so that it doesn't get co-opted and doesn't become just cosmetic reforms that, that keep the system functioning better at the things we want to change? Right. That's a great question. I think that's a great question to, to end on and to give everybody, you know, Tidina, Nicole, and Mike one last time to speak to this, at least one last time today. We hope to have you back in the future. And the little ones, too, if they want, you know, their voices are always welcome. What it, maybe we could ask you each, what's the, the change, you know, that you want to see? You know, when pe you know, there's a lot of slogans going around right now. What's the big change that you want to see? And, and uh, you know, how do, we, how do we prevent people in power from stopping that or by you know, pretending to fix things but actually making them worse, right? How do we actually, what's the change that you want to see? You know, the, the people listening today, what do you want people to take away from today in terms of what's the world you envision that you want to make possible? Uh, Tidina, you go first. Well, Tidina and Nicole and, and Mike, and then we'll uh, 
We'll thank the sponsors and wrap up. I think I think is the um the seven being incarcerated, they should do programs. You know, it's been too much uh incarcerated. You have a simple then anything. Heidi, I think you froze. Are you there? Uh, maybe we'll come back to Tidina. She was making a very interesting point, I think, about uh, programs for people rather than incarceration. Which sounds like a very important yeah. Tidina, are you back? We lost you for a minute. I think you're back. Are you there, Tidina? Tidina, we're not hearing you. Okay. Tidina, we okay. lost you for about 30 seconds. Can you go yeah. back? We heard you say programs, not prisons, right? So what? what, what can you say more? Um, my husband had called in, so I apologize. I know you're going to call again, but I think, to be fair, if you can't let them out, you know, in the prop, in the properly, put them in the program. Programs is due for people that, it shouldn't be how old you are. It should be, it should be mandated to be programmed. If it's not programmed, ankle monitors. Stop sending them going back and forth to jail because it's, it's hurting, it's making everything worse. People with family, people with loved ones, people with um, situation. I just don't think it's fair. It's not fair, and we're and we're freezing on that with Tidina. I think it's certainly not fair, and I think Tidina makes a oh. great point. Tidina, we're having a little trouble with your with your uh, with your connection right now. Um, Tidina, are you there? Okay, I think we're going to need to move on to Nicole. If we can get Tidina back, we'll we'll uh, come back to. You. But she said a she said a head full right there already um, about programs for people rather than incarceration, right? Uh, and I think that's really important. Uh, Nicole, we want to build on that. What what else? Well, as um, as she could say, yeah, programs. Um, when they come home, give them like job readiness programs. Have like. Um, programs for them like if they come home to give them like skills to get a job um give them like programs to get GEDs have fathers and um have fathers programs like fathers who have children you know they just came out of jail give them a program so they could rebuild the relationship with their kids so their kids won't feel so effective because as as I know from um experience the effect of kids who fathers is incarcerated you know have programs like that like she said more um programs less incarceration what i would like to see with the police is for them to talk to us not at us to be like more compassionate not have like the nasty attitudes or have cops that was brought up down here in new york city instead of the ones that come from suffolk county who don't know what it is to live down here in a is, as they could call in the urban areas, you know, they won't look upon us like, you know, look at them. They have like a prejudgment and they scared of us. And Steri, I remember when I was a little girl and I used to live in Brooklyn, I used to go walk up to the cops and talk to the cops and hold their hand and shake their hand or they go to the store and buy us a candy from the store. You know, I wasn't afraid of the cops now. I wasn't afraid of the cops. So the, these kids is afraid of the cops. My my grandson, who are you seeing? One day we was outside and there was a whole bunch of cops. He said, Nani, I'm scared of the cops. I said, why? He said, because Nani, they say that the cops like to kill black people, black boys. I don't know if I get big, they kill me and that shocked me and that made pain. I said, no chance. He said, but you know, remember the man that they, he had talking about George Floyd, how his hand, he had his, his knee on his, on his, his, 
his head and he was crying for his mommy and all that. So I just want them to be more considerate of us, you know, and stop thinking that all of us is bad. We all, again, I'm going to say it again, we are all human beings. Treat each other like human beings and not treat each other by color, race, or, or whatever, or creed or background. Treat each other as, you know, as one. What? What, what you want to say? My daughter says she want to say something. Good. Nicole, thank you for that. Let's hear it. Go ahead. I was, I was going to say that what I, think should change, what I think should change is that they should stop polluting. They, like, cops should stop killing innocent black lives each and every day, such as George Floyd. And I just want them to stop. I just want, I, like, I just want the world to be back to, like, how it is back in 2018, to 2019. I don't want this corona. I, like, I want to be able to go outside. I want, I want to be able to have my dad at home. I want, I want them to stop looting. I, I, like, I, like, honestly, I hate seeing, I hate seeing poor innocent black ladies dying every single day. And I just wonder if I'm going to be next when I get older. I really don't want that to happen. Well, there you go. There we go, indeed. From a child. That's right. You never so, saw, you know, the, the children see it. We'd be in better hands if we had the children running things than the people that are running things right now yeah. sometimes, I think. And that gives me hope. You know, tell, you know, you, you give me hope, you know, can you put it back on, on, on camera? You know, you give us all hope, you know, we, you know, we're glad you're going to be running the world someday. All right. You got, you got, we got to take this world back. Um, thank you all so much here today. I think we'll go, maybe give Mike a final word here, but I don't know, you know, how much we can talk it more than that. Uh, that's what it's about, right? Building a world that's fit for the people that are growing yeah. up that inherit this world. Mike, you want a final word? Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say, um, <clears throat> when we when we formulate demands as it's up to us, social investigation we see as a big part of it. Like we go, we see going to the buses, you know, doing interviews with the families, asking questions, and then formulating demands around what we're getting, what we're hearing from, what they're telling us the needs are you know, how they see change and, and all of these things. So kind of, um, we, um, we, you know, we don't necessarily like repeat the, the slogans of the social movements in that sense. We kind of, you know, we, we see kind of, we want to see where the people most affected are coming from. And, uh, and, and there's a certain basis of unity uh, through which, um, through which we're, you know, which we're organized. And basically people can look at our, uh, our, our points of unity. There are four of them on our Facebook page. Um, what, what I'm about to say, I want to, you know, basically say is, is my opinion and not necessarily the views of, um, the, you know, the, it's not the basis of unity of it's up to us. Um, but basically, I, I feel like you, you know, to, you know, to really get to a better world, like to answer Bruce's question, um, you know, you have to really tear apart what's at the fabric of this, uh, of this country right now. And that's, you know, that's white supremacy, that's capitalism, that's, you know, that's basically like, you know, from the from the the inception of this country, 
there have been systems of oppression to keep black people at the bottom, you know, you know, whether it was slavery to Jim Crow to mass incarceration, right? There's always, you know, we got rid of one through through our through our protests and through our through our resistance. They came up with another because we didn't we didn't get rid of it, you know, once and for all. Um, so basically, they've come up with other systems of oppression, and basically, like we have to basically like look at the systemic, you know, issues. You know, the, the sort of the the you know we feel like in the 60s and 70s, like, you know, there was, you know, there was a turn where, you know, capital flew, you know, flew away from the, the urban areas, you know, jobs flew away from the urban areas and, and, and men offshore, and it left, a, it left a population of people that, uh, you know, that was not needed for capital to be profitable, for the, for the capitalists to make profit. Um, you know, this is not, you know, other people have this analysis as well. But basically, you know, their answer to this is mass incarceration. Their answer to this is warehousing black and brown bodies and poor white bodies even, you know, in, in prisons. And basically like, you know, I think that we can end mass incarceration through mass resistance, most definitely. Um, but I think we have to look at, you know, the, 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 the oppressive relations that this country is rooted in and we have to basically, you know, upturn those relations and create a whole new society. Um, and I, you know, so in that sense, if that's what Bruce was kind of getting at, I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that. But that, but basically, you know, the 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 the, the unity of it's up to us is basically like around, you know, where are where are you know, where do people, um, where you know, what are what are the voices of the people saying and kind of like how can we you know push things forward and kind of th and, and kind of like within the within the the mist of our fighting against mass incarceration and fighting for the families and the prisoners to kind of you know begin a conversation about well what kind of world do we want to live in how do we get to a better world if that makes sense that's that's my that's what i have to say yeah, and, and that's, I think, a perfectly and powerful note to end on. The struggle against mass incarceration is not only about ending mass incarceration, but ending, getting rid of one of the great blockages that stands in the way of getting to the other side, to create a new world, to have, to get loved ones home, but not only to get them home, but to make a whole new world with them when they're here, a world where every human being is valued, every voice is listened to, nobody is treated like they're an object that can be thrown away, you know, locked up and throw away the key. We need to get to a world beyond that kind of treatment of people, right? And we won't know exactly what that world will look like until we tear some things out of this one, I think. I, I would agree with that. And, and on that note, uh, Shelter and Solidarity will be returning next week. We hope that many of you will be with us next week for our show at 7, including we would love to have you back again, Nicole, and you know, join the next conversation. Tidina lost connection, but thank you, Tidina. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Mike. Thanks to the producers of the show, Saran and Tim and Linda. 